L'influenza radicale. La radicale, sì. Veniate per spiegare. La radicale. La radicale. The radical flu. The radical flu. Radicale gripe. Rome. Collectively authored artistic persona consisting of several members aiming to escape the logic of the individual artist, becoming instead a transnational, transgenerational, transdisciplinary entity, an internationale femme fatale. We find it wonderful to lodge here at Radio Aachen. Oh, yes. How does it feel to be in the studios of the world's oldest feminist radio? I'm not going to lie, it feels fantastic. Fantastic. Well, let's get right into another hour devoted to our radio play, The Radical Flu. This time, we'll be listening to part three of our series of eight broadcasts, Bro, Bro, Brille. And that's not all. After we've listened to the radio play, be sure to stay tuned, as we are joined today by two very special guests. The EDA Award-winning stage director, Anne-Karen Itten, and the philosopher, critic, and writer, Espen Serbi. Before we begin, let's have a brief rehash of last week's part of the radical flu. Would you like to dish it out, Rose? Sure. Last week, we heard part two of Roses Are Red from Rose Hammer's second national episode. In Roses Are Red, we were transported to Young Storget during the Labour Party Congress on the 28th of March, 1918. We witnessed a huge clash between the old reformists and the new radicals. But what on earth did fairy tale of Westlfrick have to do with Martin Tranmel being elected into parliament? Was this just another of those radical scheming shenanigans? You can listen to Roses are Red and all previous parts of the radical flu on your favorite podcast provider to find out. As we're sure many are aware, New preventative measures to combat the coronavirus renders it impossible to gather in groups indoors. So last week, Rose went to Jungstoge to meet the new leader of AUF, the Workers' Youth League, 
Astrid Villa Eidehuen. From the studio, Rose also had conversations with two guests, the Belgian political theorist Chantal Mouffe and the Norwegian politician and journalist Mimir Christiansson. This all brings us closer and closer to the next chapter of the radical flu, Bro, Bro, Brill. All right, that was it. Let's all sit back with a distance and... Thanks so much to our fabulous technician Claire, who will be with us weekly, Thursdays between 13 and 14 at Radio Rockel, FM 99.3. The Radical Flu by Rose Hammer. A radio play in eight parts, produced in collaboration with Nutam and Radio Rakil, the world's oldest feminist radio station. The Radical Flu, Part 3 Bru, Bru, Brille. The Radical Flu is a radio play by Rose Hammer and part of Rose Hammer's national episode series. Bru, Bru, Brille is the third chapter of this radio play. We are in Vårfrelsersgravlund, Oslo, a cemetery in the capital city of Norway, mid-November 1918. Everyone who's anyone is here, either vertically or horizontally. Vertically, we are about to encounter Ingeborg Köber, an innocent young lady, and Johan Scharfenberg, a doctor. Horizontally, but under the verticality of Gustav Wigeland's statue, we encounter Osta Hansten, a legend. The Radical Flu has been commissioned by Uslubianalen with the kind support of Kuf Kiel. List of characters Actress, director, prima donna, woman scorned but not dejected, Johanna Diebvad, 51 years old. Ingeborg Körbir, psychic medium, newlywed, hounded into submission, 23 years old. Johann Scharfenberg, racist, medical doctor, psychiatrist, nationalist, lover of all practices ancient Greek, except drinking, bad poet, 49 years old. Osta Hansten, painter, language pioneer, self-taught theologist and a flaying critic of the Norwegian church, nationalist, anti-imperialist, suffragette, sapphian, misandrist, bad poet, deceased. Location, Vårfrelses graveyard in Oslo. Everyone who's anyone is there, either vertically or horizontally. Ipsen Björnsson vill den väg och källan Värgeland väl haven tramelori Ringnäs gudebur Nordråk Solberg hol Baka blicks och brattli Färlig kollet braten Bröggarsväg och munk och karsten Tranar Ingeborg Köber, a naive 23-year-old newlywed, has travelled from her woodboard kingdom Fredrikstad to Christiania to see the famous actress Johanna Dibvard before Medea at the National Theatre in Christiania. Köber is curious and sensitive, but not a scholarly woman. She's been coined sweet but stupid by her own patriarch. She's led a sheltered life in the shadow of her brothers Ludwig and Ragnar, who are her parents' favourite children. 
Kerber was entirely unprepared for the shock that is Johanne Diebwads. Medea. Diebwad. Is a theatre phenomenon and grand dame. She acts, directs and informs the bougie public with a radical performativity. She is a fire, a bitter blow that cleanses, and courage and truth have reached greater limits. Nordal Grieg describing Dybvad, Grieg wrote her a poem featured in the posthumous collection Hobbit, 1946. It's quite telling how much he admired her. Dybvad became famous after dancing with her own shadow in En Liten Hex, A Little Witch. After Georg Sands Fanchon premiered in Bergen and then in Christiania, 1888. Dybvad both produced and performed the Medea of Euripides in 1918. Until 1916, she had been married to lawyer and writer Wilhelm Diebwad. After their separation, Wilhelm Diebwad immediately married Karoline Buchen-Lasson, who had also recently abandoned her marriage. Buchen was Christiania aristocracy, sister of Oda Lasson, sister-in-law of Christian Krog and Diebwad's junior. Ingeborg Köber has recently married a rather volatile older man. He will move her to the other side of the country, far away from her family, whom she is deeply dependent on. After having seen Dibvads, Medea, Köber, experience as a flash of lucidity, suddenly worried what married life might entail, Köber has staggered out of the theatre, wandering aimlessly about. Now she finds herself in Wolfrelse's graveyard, sweating, shivering and slumped against a memorial, a Gustav Vigeland, bust of an elderly woman. Medea's words echo in Köber's mind. Of all things, with life and understanding, we women are the most unfortunate. First, we need a husband, someone we get for an excessive price. He then becomes the ruler of our bodies, and this misfortune adds still more troubles to the grief we have. Then comes the crucial struggle. This husband we selected, is he good or bad? For a divorce loses women all respect. What now, little relic? Kerber's father, that she was later accused of having murdered, called Kerber his relic, as she was able to communicate with her two deceased brothers. Scherfenberg participated in an expert panel, giving statements during a very public and scandalizing trial. Scharfenberg claimed Köber had willed her father's drowning into being, even if she had no recollection or conceptualization of having done so, because she was apparently both insidious and simple. What now, little relic? Köber asks herself. Supporting her weight on the stone plinth, she slowly stands up straight until she faces the Vigeland bust head on. It's a somewhat unflattering idealization of Åsta Hansten. Kerber, unable to think clearly, places her palms on Hansten's cold cheeks, staring into her unflinching gaze. Oster Hansten had lived in Copenhagen, Düsseldorf and Paris. Her paintings had been shown at the World Exhibition in Paris in 1855. After resettling in Christiania, she was briefly a popular portraiturist until the workload caused her a breakdown and she stopped painting for several years. Hans Den was an active and public feminist in the tradition of Harriet Taylor Mill's eavesdropping husband, John Stuart Mill. Characterised by her enthusiasm and ditto indignation, Hans Den was often caricatured. Ibsen, 
resting under his hammer just a stone's throw away, owned at least one of her paintings, and had based the character Luna Hassel in Pillars of Society on Hansten. Deep one. Played Hansten at the play's premiere in 1901. Hansten was the third person to ever use Ivar Dawson's Landsmål in published text, writing love poems to her female companions, praises of her aesthetic and ethical idol, Henrik Wergeland, and publishing political programmes. When the International Workers' Congress in Paris in 1889 voted that May the 1st should be the International Workers' Day, they also voted that they would not acknowledge the women's issues as a cause. Hansten was furious. They want to make themselves masters of women's affairs. The International Workers' Day will be a men's day. We'll have a new man's world. Where before we had hundreds of thousands of masters, we'll now have millions of masters. Hansten, Nylande, 1819, page 33. Daughter of a respected academic, Hansten belonged to the bourgeoisie and never sought to leave it. Still, her thinking was ripe with values. She was at the barricades, uttering her incantations, welding her umbrella or hidden away at home, sobbing. Always involved in psychic battle. Nina Karin Monsen, Sorren, in Furier är också kvinnor, page 197. Cruising through the graveyard, heading in Kerber's direction, is Dr. Johan Scharfenberg. He's always found solace among the dead. As a schoolboy, he'd been preoccupied with the morbid, pressing flowers in his notebooks and writing long poems about bodies returning to dust. He's now a physician, psychiatrist, prohibitionist, public intellectual. His adversaries call him a fanatical rationalist. His friends say he's a woman-hater. Endlessly productive in a position of power, he polemicizes for the forced sterilization and internation of folks he doesn't like, loose women, addicts, the mentally ill, and ethnic groups unfitting to his racist, nationalist visions. He kept intimate correspondences with his male friends who often begged him not to show anyone the nature of their communication. A self-proclaimed enemy of joy, Scharfenberg is in an uncharacteristically good mood. The doctors jam his temperance, and new statistics show that the number of drunk tank arrests had plummeted during the outbreak of the flu. Scharfenberg had sympathy for the drunks. He truly did. They were uneducated and primitive, worked in filthy environments from dawn till dusk, and when they came home, they had to share a bed with their wives, those disgusting bodies. Still, public intoxication was unacceptable. The Norwegian public is not a pigsty. Scharfenberg comes to a halt. What in God's name? There's a... Drunk? A damsel? Is she intoxicated? Deranged? She must need my help. Scharfenberg picks up speed, and is soon marched right over to Kerber, who's still clenching the bust like a gargoyle on a dome. I demand an explanation. Where is your company? I... I don't run a company. Your husband? Or your father? Brother? My husband is at home. I'm sure my papa is too. And what is your business, bumbling around here in Christiania, unaccompanied? Why are you so fundamentally ungroovy? Who asked you for your opinion? What? Leave me alone! Will Scharfenberg leave Kerber alone? Are you crazy? No, no. Then collect yourself. Yes, yes. What is your excuse for your behavior? Explain. Go home to your husband. Women should be a beacon of morality in a marriage.
Kvinnan ska vara mannens sedelighetsideal, Emmy Monrad, quoted by Elias Bredsdorf in The Nordiska krig om sexualmoralen, 1973, page 72, page 73. The commandments doesn't count for men. Osta Hansten, speech on the occasion of the Odelsting proposition number two, Nylende, 1900, page 70. The man is the master of the household. Are you unwell, woman? Do you need medical attention? Go home to your husband. If men should rule women because of their greater strength, should not then the bear, the elephant and the horse rule men? because of their even greater strength. Osta Hansten, Diary 4 to 5, 1887. Go on! Get- I'm created in God's image. Leave me alone. I'm alerting the police. I'll act out, burning with bile and fiery fury against man's misshapen minds when in ignorant bruteness they resort to demanding that the law and its executive powers subject its people to abuse. Osta Hansten in a letter to Matilda Agnes Vergerland, 1803-1902. Jag uppträr med brännande förbrytelse och glödande harme mot mandeviljens djävlske vanskapshet när den bundlös utvidenhet och rahet tyr till den lovgivande och den utövande makt med den fordring. Utlevererar oss hela kvinnekönet till missbruk. Polis! Arrest this woman! This woman? I'm every woman. It's all in me. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Standing on their own two feet and ringing on their own bells. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Welcome back to the studio. You just heard part three of Rose Summer's radio play, The Radical Flu, here on Radio Rackel, live from Oslo. And now we are pleased to introduce the HEDA award-winning stage director, Anne-Karen Utten, who we ran into while ruminating on Vor Fressler graveyard in Oslo. A few days ago, while walking in the graveyard looking for Osta Hansten grave, I stumbled upon Anne Karen Utten. We start talking, and I mentioned Rose Hammer's work with prominent public figures from Norwegian history buried there. 
we discuss the artist's usage of historical data and artistic license. Hitten delighted us with this anecdote. The start of the story is that an actress called Vente Börsum, she was 70, and I knew that when she had retired, if she did not have anything to do, she would knock on my door with something to do. I've done monologues with her before, and she hadn't done anything to do, so she knocked on my door, and she had her book, the book of her mother, uh, with her. And her mother was a rich um, woman, married to a doctor, uh, lived West Oslo life, right? And uh, then she stumbled into the resistance work and became important as a resistance worker and was captured and was sent to Rafensbrück, which is the female camp in, uh, in um, Germany. Uh, and she was there for several years and afterwards when she came back uh, she could not go back to her former life as uh, the doctor's wife. So she divorced and left her daughter and son and started a new life, working with other uh, victims of the war. And uh, she was writing and um, she was an active person. She wrote this book from Raffensbrück. It was a very, very good book at that time. It's still a good book. It was very... Uh, uh, vivid. You could you could really go into that book to b come to Raffens' book, but it was not theatre, not at all theatre. It was literature. She also wrote two other books, where she talks about raising children and not using force. Doing that again, using her experience from the camp. That was. N not theatre either, <laughs> but Bente, she wanted to do it. And I said, it's not possible. But then she started telling about herself as a kid, and she started singing the song uh, which um, her mother used to sing for her when she was to go to sleep. And then I found a way into it which was about mother and daughter and missing a mother and what happens when you lose a mother twice because she first lost her mother for when she went to the camp then she lost her mother when she was divorced the real thing is that i used the book i used both both of the books and I used all the stories Bente told me from her childhood, what she remembered. So I interviewed her. But Bente was not destroyed by the loss. She was not destroyed by the longing. And that was where the lie comes in. Because her longing for the mother had to burn much more. And that had to be sort of the motor of the whole play. So I said, you have to lie. <laughs> and then, um, and she lied. She d lied in a good way. And the real thing is, uh, 
she started playing this in, um, well, it must have been 12 years ago, more. Uh, uh, she was 72, I think, when we, we had uh, the opening. And she's still playing it, and she's now 86. <laughs> she's traveling around with the place still. And what is also fun is that my, my brother is a psychiatrist. And she, he said afterwards, after he had seen it, he said, Oh, think of her going around all these years and um, missing her mother so much. <laughs> and I said, That's my lie. And he said, Oh, please, couldn't you have kept, let me be in the illusion one five minutes more? <laughs> The radical flu. The radical flu. The radical flu. The radical flu. We're back from Radio Rocken. Espen Serbi is a philosopher, critic, and author who has been working for Statistics Norway, Statistics and Talbjörn, since 1985. Serbi has written several works challenging and clawing at the confined formats of the historical biography as a literary genre. His bibliography includes books about Rolf Stenersen, the stock market broker come Munk collector, capitalist criticizing capitalism. About Kjet Lasnik, a Jewish citizen who was deported from Oslo during the Norwegian Holocaust and later murdered in the concentration camp Auschwitz-Birkenau. About the entrepreneur, smuggler, jailbird, and crime fiction writer Arthur Omre, and about the attending physician, prison shrink, an indomitable, relentless public intellectual shaping Norwegian political opinion for more than half a decade, Dr. Johan Schaffenberg. Espen Serbi titled his work on Dr. Johan Schaffenberg an archival study rather than a biography. Rose Hammer read the book En man fra forgangne århundrer overlegge Johan Schaffenbergs liv og virke 1869-1965, en arkivstudie. Which roughly translates to A man from era's past, attending physician Johan Scharfenberg's life and work, 1869-1965, an archival study, with great interest. We are thrilled to welcome Espen Sobje as a guest here on The Radical Flu on Radio Rakel, where we'll ask him about the influence of intellectual nesters of various political standings, about Dr. Jon Scharfenberg, about engaging critically with archives, and about what historians coin the tyranny of models. We are curious about how Sobia started working with statistics, and more so, how he developed the idiosyncratic ways in which he animated the archives he engaged with, through his work. My main uh, employer have been uh, Statistics Norway since 1985. Statistics Norway has been my main workplace uh, ever since uh, I finished uh, my studies. Your background is in philosophy. Yeah. And uh, we were um, um, curious of, on what uh, stocked your interest uh, uh, for working with statistics as a philosopher? 
from the beginning it was not uh, it was a coincidence. Espen Serbi finished his studies in 1982 when Norway had entered the yuppie era. Economists who would otherwise be obvious candidates for employment in state organs such as Statistics Norway now sought work in the private sector where the salaries were higher. So how does a philosopher fill an economist's shoes? The young people didn't want to study at the university. They took uh, short time economic education at uh, BAE and, uh, and uh, other edu private uh, education institutions. So uh, the need for uh, philosophers was uh, little. While the young and hopeful sought out private business school rather than humanities to take part of the economic boom, job offers for candidates of philosophy were scarce. In the past, one could be employed teaching new students history of philosophy and logics. However, I was interested in, um, in this uh, making of concepts, not only this main concept, but also on the lower level. I found uh, st statistics novel to be a, to be a s interesting place uh, to be. It was for me. It has been like um, continuing uh, university uh, studies. The authors or the writers of articles in in Statistics Norway did not actually sign um, sign as individual authors, but it was signed as uh, as 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 Yes. I was curious if you had. Um, if you would share your viewpoints on how n not signing as an mm -hmm. individual author mm -hmm. uh, maybe changed the method for, um, for, for research or method for writing or in, in, in any way where, it's, um, where it alters the, the act of mm -hmm. writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, for, for me, it was uh, not, a, not a big change uh, when I began to write things in... Uh, statistics uh, Norway um, because when I studied I was uh, a member of a, um, of a, a communist uh, small communist group and we had a paper and uh, also in a communist group you uh, you do not sign uh, as a private person but uh, uh, but uh, um, anonymously, but of, but of course uh, the the way of writing uh, in statistics um, Norway was uh, very different from uh, this uh, student paper. Which was called Gnisten. Yeah. and Kommunistisk Universitetslag. Yeah. So I liked uh, the anonymous uh, texts uh, with, uh, with not a visible author. But of course, um, the text in uh, Statistics Norway was written um, it, with a lot of passive formulations, because you don't have, uh, you don't, you, you couldn't use a subject you, yourself or a V uh, as a subject in the. Um, in the text, so you had to write um, 
the last um, the last figures from uh, the um, investment survey shows uh, that uh, blah, 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 blah. and um, together with this uh, passive uh, formulations um, you also used a lot of uh, the modal uh, verbs like can it can uh, it can mean uh, it uh, yeah. The, the 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 use of the verb can was uh, very much uh, used because that's um, uh, you use that then you are safe you haven't uh, you haven't proposed uh, anything uh, but uh, it it can means that uh, the growth are uh, stronger than the last quarter but uh, yeah something like that so the the texts was very uh, vague but 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 of course the students in uh, social economy that uh, uh, at that time um, almost every academics in statistics norway had that education they was socialized into that way of writing uh, from their student time from the uni- in, on the university for the so for them so they knew the the code but uh, i often get my my notes back and uh, with uh, mentioned that don't be that bombastic but uh, but, uh, but but uh, but i liked uh, I, I and i do like very much um, uh, texts uh, without an author because uh, when it, when it when a text has an author it is uh, it's, um, it is uh, not so strong uh, so when uh, statistics norway stand as the author from all this text it, the text is much more authoritative mm. and then you uh, um, of course when well, the, as you know, the Bible has not an author as well. We've been reading your work on uh, Johan Scharfenberg, and uh, we understood that uh, the volume of historical data you source uh, from for your finished script are, uh, are immense. Mm. Uh, we're curious which factors determine that which pieces of biographical data you found pertinent to cite, and which were left out. Uh, would you mind elaborating on mm. this? Yeah, I uh, d- I do I do uh, um, quote uh, the sources uh, that I found uh, interesting. For instance, uh, his um, interest for eugenics. I uh, I. Um, uh, quote uh, and looked for uh, uh, for that uh, very carefully, and the same for his um, his writings about uh, the fascism or the nazism in uh, Germany, of course, and also uh, and also his 
his fight against uh, quasi-science uh, in connection with the Kerber case. I, I, uh, there I quoted uh, uh, more of the source, more of the sources, and more sources than on uh, other topics that that didn't uh, follow him uh, through uh, many many years, and was important for him through uh, uh, through his whole life or, mo or most of his life. There are so much. Um, Social history in this um, in this uh, archive for Schaffenberg wrote uh, uh, small biographies of uh, of his prisoners, and he uh, so that was uh, very interesting material for for ma for many reasons, and I think that's uh, that's also the case with. Uh, the journals uh, that he wrote as a psychiatrist. They are, first of all, uh, very interesting from a social, historical point of view. Uh, historians and, uh, and uh, others that study uh, psychiatric institutions and prisoners uh, that uh, Oh, this is exactly what uh, Foucault has told us. They see uh, they see the empirical material as as a proof that uh, Foucault uh, had said the right thing. But I think uh, that's um, that's uh, then you do, the mater this material um, is much richer. And you can see so much more in it. It's a source for so much more, uh, um, even though, even though uh, Schaffenberg's uh, intention was to, uh, to 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 um, to try to find out uh, uh, some um, scientific. Uh, Positivistic uh, knowledge about uh, who uh, are um, who are the um, uh, uh, criminals and and um, and he wa and he was of course very interested in um, in this going from father to son and from mother to daughter from um, uh, so that that was his main. Uh, Hypothesis that uh, both alcoholics, criminals uh, um, had uh, this from their uh, parents, mm. and they had that from their parents again. And uh, his study, his studies of the the trampers, uh, so of course. Uh, Exactly the same. It is that's almost a Christian idea of original sin, no? That you're born guilty. Yeah. In, um yeah, yeah, and it's uh, and 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 then uh, and then he uh, and then he thought that uh, uh, you could you could um, 
you could solve all the the main social problems with criminality, with poor people, with uh, with uh, drunkards, uh, uh, with uh, eugenics. You could uh, you could forbid uh, these people, one way or another, to become to get children. So that was that was a that was a scientific. A, a natural uh, or, or a natural scientific way to solve social problems. It's an interesting point that he was so strongly uh, anti-Nazi when his ideas of eugenics is not completely dissimilar. Well, it departs mm. on on uh, the view on Jewish people. Mm. Um, but that also has to do with the eugenics. No, Schaffenberg held Jewish people in high esteem for their genetics. It's still eugenics, or it's still mo motivated by. Uh, yeah, uh, but, but yeah, in a way, in a way, but um, but um, um, no, it's uh, yeah, it's very, it's very. It's um, it is uh, it is uh, it is hard to explain uh, why he was so against um, uh, Nazi because uh, he had so many common interests uh, with um, elements of. Uh, uh, of um, Nazism, uh, but of course, but of course, he he was um, um, he was so he was um, uh, so um, uh, interested and dedicated to. Science that I think it was uh, his uh, he, science was so to say his uh, religion, <coughs> even though even though we could uh, we could uh, question um, uh, his view or what science what science was he was so dedicated to science that uh, that he uh, understood that uh, and then and. Uh, the Hitler fascism was not that dedicated to to science, of course. If you look for Foucault, you'll find Foucault in a way. Mm. In, in in a journal, this is a this is a fault that one can have when looking, when searching for information, especially maybe in archives and especially maybe on in um, terminologies that uh, that is not one's mother tongue professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, so um, I'm wondering if you have if you have viewpoints that you could share about what is um, what are the pitfalls or the advantages of, of working with an archive, uh, and what what are the um, what are the risks risks one run at misinterpreting the material one is reading either because one is looking for Foucault mm. or because um, terminology changes or. Mm. 
Ja. Ähm. I have tried to 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 figure out what I call sort of a method archive study, and and what I mean with the archive study is is that what is interesting is. Uh, why this uh, archive uh, is established? How is it that this archive is established? Um, f for for what reason was it established? And um, and also um, why uh, has this archive survived so that we could see it? Uh, and um, also what have been the use of the archive before uh, uh, we use it. And um, then I... Uh, um, uh, what's, what's so sp special interest then is, uh, uh, for instance, uh, if if this is a piece of archive, this note here is very interesting, uh, and uh, and um, who has done that and uh, why is that done and uh, and um, yeah, that's very that, that's very interesting. So the the history of the piece of archive is um, is so to say the the main the main thing uh, in an archive study and uh, and, of, and of course you could uh, you could um, uh, expand this theory to 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 think that uh, well everything could be could be could be could be um, studied as a uh, as a piece, as an archive piece also this room for instance uh, will it be possible to find out, for instance, um, uh, the meetings that had been held in this room? Uh, yeah, I think so, uh, because you sh you should. Uh, I haven't done that, of course, but uh, you should um, book, it. book it in an electronic system, <coughs> and then you could find out the meetings, and then you could go into some of these meetings and find uh, things that. Uh, well, in this room, uh, a new statistics uh, was decided, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and um, uh, and uh, everything in the world could be studied uh, in this way. And you could, uh, yeah, you could study also uh, what, f what firm did uh, construct this room and uh, yeah, who do wash it uh, every day and so on and so on. And um, yeah, and that that is uh, that is uh, the, this method is um, is a sort of a, a, a protest against um, 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 narratives. 
or you make other narratives uh, uh, or, or you make new narratives or you make uh, anti-narratives uh, because uh, because when you you could use um, for instance um, Schaffenberg's um, um, medical um, journals from the Bootsfängsle to to write about uh, to write an, a narrative about his work uh, uh, and his uh, but you but you could also but you but you could also write about some of the journals that you find interesting as isolated pieces and uh, and uh, and that's uh, t that's to use them to 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 break down uh, s uh, s uh, the the ordinary uh, narrative uh, when you write a bi biography ab about um, a prison doctor that uh, to to say what his work consists of and give some examples from the medical uh, uh, forms and yeah okay so um so you 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 when you when you make a, a hardcore uh, archive study you you don't have uh, uh, you break down uh, the narratives um you don't use the archive pieces to make a, a great uh, a, a story. A more uh, trivial question. If you were to request a song to, to, radio, to be played in Radio Rakhdel, would you have something in mind? Maybe maybe from the days you were uh, part of uh, this. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Not necessarily. No, we yeah we we uh, it was actually a Swedish a Swedish uh, musician. That uh, was uh, on our side. <laughs> not many, not many were, but uh, uh, Fred Ockerström. He uh, he had some uh, nice songs. Hon var fattig. Hon var ärlig och en stolthet för sin bygg. För en rik blev hon begärlig och så tog han hennes dygn. Sådan är kapitalismen och taketen arbetslön. Det är de rikas paradis men ingen hör en fattig spön. Men en dag så får hon höra att han är på nytt på jakt. Hon sa, syn men inte röra, men det skulle hon 
aldrig sagt. kapitalismen och tack den armes lön. Det är de rikas paradis, men ingen hör en fattig stöd. Hon tar tåget in till staden för att glömma bort hans väg. Nu går hon på esplanaden Tio spänn för kärlekslek Sådan är kapitalismen Och tack är den armens lön Det är de rikas paradis Men ingen hör en fattig spön I ett fattigt torp i glömta Hennes mor med stor passion Frosar lax och ål på räntan Av sin dotters profession Sådan är kapitalismen Och tack är den armens lön Det är de rikas paradis Men ingen hör en fattig spön Flickan drar där fram i storstad Klädd i lackväska och tyll som en missanpassad julgrav Vilken underbar idyll Sådan är kapitalismen Och tack är den armens lön Det är de rikas paradis Men ingen hör en fattig spön Hon har mardrömmar i sömnen Lite fnatt ni vet sådär Så hon kastar sig I strömmen Skyldig på Den hon höll kär Sådan är Kapitalismen Och tack är Den armens lön Det är de rikas Paradismen Ingen var En fattig spön Hon till stranden Snart blev bergad Klädd i sjögräs av sitt bad Steg hon upp så blek och härjad Stämde upp sin röst och kvad Sådan är kapitalismen Och tack är den armens lön Det är de rikas paradismen Ingen hör en And we are back in the studios. This is Rose Hammer, live from Hoslo, at Radio Rakel FM 99.3. Thank you all for listening to this third part of the Radical Flu. Thank you to Radio Rakel and Claire. And a big thank you to Anne-Karen Hitten and Espen Serbi for taking the time to be with us today. You can listen to today's parts again anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll be back next Thursday on Radio Rakel for the next part of the Radical Flu, Oslo, the city of free love. Stay tuned. Hello? This is Anna-Karin again. Hi, Anna-Karin. Hi. 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 Um, I think about the story I told you. Actually, the lie was... 
I think even better than I told you because um, <laughs> well, concrete it, it, the lie is about age too because um, uh, Benta was not at all a little girl when when uh, the mother left Benta was about 15, 16, 17 years old so I made uh, her uh, a little child to make uh, yeah to make it much harder to lose a mother and make it much harder to meet a mother again and lose her again. So the lie is um, really uh, connected to this uh, age. And and if the, if the audience could be awake when seeing the play and, and count, uh, it's not at all possible that Bente could be so little um, during the war. Uh, but most people uh, was um, fooled. That's good. I see. Th- thank you. But do you think we should? Uh, we would need to re-record this, like. Uh, well, will you can't. Do... You... Mm. Uh, do you think I should come back with the with the with the with the microphone to your place? Maybe tomorrow. Uh, well, honestly, didn't you record it now? <laughs> 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 okay, ask me again. <laughs> ask me again. Yeah, Lord.